0: Welcome to the Sandhills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. All right. Well, good morning. I'm so glad y'all are here with us, and I love I love people who are eager to worship the Lord. People who are eager to study the Scripture. Uh, it's just fun. It's fun to be among family. And if you're visiting with us, I'm glad that you're here uh, to be a part of this with us. If you have your Bibles handy, go ahead and open up to the Book of First Samuel because that's what we've been studying lately. First Samuel. We're going to work our way through the entire Book of First Samuel, and um, it's really interesting to me where we are in this journey because. In the book of Samuel where we are right now, and today we're gonna be in chapter 11, uh, we're at the point where we're starting to get some momentum towards Israel's first king. Uh, so for those of you who remember the story, or if others just need to be refreshed, um, we got to a point where Israel was wrestling with trusting God. And they were struggling with that because they'd had some bad leadership. And it is very common for us as people to uh, be mad at God for the sins of people. And uh, we, we struggle with it in our day. They struggled with it in their day. So they got to this point where they, they just wanted a king like everybody else like this whole you know through god's prophet thing following the lord him leading us like that's too confusing everybody else just has a king we want somebody like everybody else has we just want a king like the other nations have uh, now this was a disappointment to the Lord because he was like none of them can lead you like I can lead you but you want to you want a king like the other nations I'll give you one of those and uh, so now Saul has come on the scene now Saul is kind of reluctant I mean he's he's remarkable as an individual I mean he's a very handsome young man he's he's taller than almost everybody else in Israel uh, so he's just this mammoth beast of a guy like I said a, a couple weeks ago he would be a first round draft pick uh, in any sport that that we're drafting in um, and now he's become King. And when they went to make him king, he was so nervous about it, he went and hid. And they literally had to go find him so they could make him king. So, I mean, not a great start. You know, for a king. You'd like, the, you'd like the, the king to step forward like Superman, you know, and be like, I'll be your king. You know, and you're like, ah, we'll follow that guy. And like, where is he? I don't know. He's hiding somewhere around here. And so they got to drag this guy. Here's your king. So not a great start. Here's where we are. We'll finish. Just if you have your Bibles handy, we'll just read the last bit of First Samuel chapter 10. Uh, because there's some content at the end of uh, chapter 10 that will lead into chapter 11. So now we're in First Samuel chapter 10, starting in verse 25. So then Samuel... Who, you know, he's the, he's the main uh, priest, prophet of the Lord. Then Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship. And he wrote them in a book, and he laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah. And with him went men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace." All right, so that's how we wrapped up chapter 10. So it's like, hey, now, Saul, you are now king of Israel. He's like, awesome. He's like, all right, now you can go home. Like, okay. just I, I like how this whole thing started is just so weird. So he just goes back home and goes back to working his job. I mean, it's just like, what does this even mean? Uh, and then you've got these groups of people, like there are some, these men of valor. Now I love the men of valor uh, articulation. There's no description other than men of valor. And so I'm just thinking I don't know what you picture men of valor, but probably what these are, I mean, besides being, you know, noble, probably, probably being leaders already in their community, uh, but they're probably military leaders as well. So that's, that's probably a part of this, who are like, you're the new king, we're with you. Wherever you go, we're with you. And uh, there's something just about how God knit these hearts to him. But then there's also a group of people who are like, dude, you were hiding in the baggage 10 minutes ago. Like, I don't know that you've got it in you, and honestly... We're not gonna respect you as our king. And uh, you get no gift from us, uh, we'll see how this pans out. And so they walk away. Now, note, Saul, Saul gets that. He, he may not get a lot, but he got that he was just rejected by some guys. And he just kind of quietly stews on that, uh, and then he leaves. So this kind of sets up where we are. Now, today, we're gonna see a bit of a contrast come forward, because one of the things I think we wrestle with when we study the Old Testament is kind of us as New Testament Christians, our application of it. But the application today, I think, is going to be a little bit easier, because we're going to see a contrast today between the Spirit of God, as we understand the Holy Spirit, and then the Spirit of man, that is the natural leading inclination you might have as a part of just you as a human. And so we're going to see a contrast between the two of those in chapter 11 today. Uh, now, for context, let me uh, we'll bring up a map and just show you where we are today. Again, I love maps. I love being reminded. We study a real God, real place, real people. And, uh, and so, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Israel as a whole. Uh, normally, the eastern boundary is the Jordan River. Today, though, we're going to be kind of trans-Jordan, as you might call it. And I mean trans in the way God means it. Um, so, uh, <laughs> We've got um, the, the difference here between uh, on the east, the southeast of the Jordan River, uh, you've got Ammon. And so we're going to hear more about them. But what you need to know is they are a, they're a warring group of people. They're enemies of Israel. And, and Israel, while normally settling to the west of the Jordan River, they have begun to settle on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and in particular, maybe even the northeastern side of the Jordan River. Uh, and that's going to be important today as we go through this. So you can kind of picture this uh, in your mind as we go to study. So. Today, we're in, uh, in uh, 1 Samuel 11. Let's just read the first four verses, and we're really going to see the spirit of a man uh, come forth here, uh, kind of his own evil spirit. So uh, chapter 11, then Nahash the Ammonite went up and he besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, on this condition, I will make a treaty with you that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days respite that we may send messengers throughout all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people and all the people wept aloud. All right, so... This is kind of a weird deal now. So Nahash, uh, we're gonna find out shortly, he's the king of the Ammonites. And you know, as kings did in those days, you think about expanding your territory and you wanna expand your territory on the backs of other people. And so you take your army out and um, we're gonna see a little bit here of what he's been doing. But so he rolls into town with his army and uh, Jabesh, Gilead, they can't stand up to him. They don't have enough people to fight him. So he rolls in with his army and um, he's like, hey, I'm here to take over. And they're like, well, hey, before you take over, What if we just make a deal? Now, this is something that would happen in history. So in history, if you were dominant, what you would do is you would come and threaten a group of people. But see, it doesn't really benefit you to wipe out a group of people unless you just want the land. Uh, But what you would rather have is just to subdue them because if you subdue them, then you can get them to work for you. And you can kind of take them, you kind of annex them. You kind of bring them into your, your group of people. Uh, but then they pay you, uh, well, we might call it taxes, but they would have called it tribute, uh, something like that. So that's what, that's what Jabesh Gilead's doing. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. How about we just pay you tribute? Let's just, let's just make, a, let's make a covenant. Now, in the old days, in the Old Testament, they would make a covenant. We still make covenants today. They just look a little different. Uh, but in the old days, what they used to do, and in Scripture, and in particular, if I remember a little bit from my two semesters of Hebrew, uh, not much, but uh, they didn't just make a covenant. They would cut a covenant is what they would do. And this comes from the idea of, and they were real serious, they would literally take an animal, slice it in half, and put two halves down on the ground, and then you would meet between it, uh, and then that's where you would make your agreement between the animals. And the idea was, may this, this dead animal, may this happen to us if either of us violates this covenant. And so very often in uh, the Old Testament, you would see to cut a covenant. And so when Nahash has come along, he says, I got an idea. Uh, I'm I'm gonna conquer you. They're like, whoa, let's cut a covenant. And uh, what they're appealing for is just tribute. And then he's like, oh, you want to cut a covenant? I got an idea. I'll cut out your right eye. How about that? That'll be how we'll cut our covenant. And so this is a very, a very serious thing, a weird thing, a very serious thing. Uh, but apparently this is kind of his, his MO, if you will, his method of operation. Now, we, we, we suspect this because of uh, some other scripture uh, that we have that talks about this. And so... Um, Maybe I should talk about this first. I've been to Israel several times, which is super cool. And I, I do know people have asked me in here, we are going to go as a church at some point. I, we're going to figure this out before you die. How about that? Uh, <clears throat> or before I die, hopefully. So we're gonna, we'll go again. One of the places we'll go when we're there is we'll go to the um, Qumran National Park. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard of the, the Qumran community. Uh, it's the place where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, so the Dead Sea Scrolls are these scrolls that really give us affirmation that the translation we have of scripture is is accurate. It is so good uh, because it, it predated other manuscripts that we had. Uh, it gives us so real confidence in, in what we understand. And so these were found kind of randomly through a shepherd who was throwing rocks. Uh, One of them went into a cave, broke a jar, and that's how they found these scrolls that were preserved uh, because of the climate. And so uh, on part of one of those preserved scrolls, we find uh, a reference to this, and it gives a little more information, so I find it beneficial. So we'll bring it up here for you. Um, It says this. Now Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, had been grievously oppressing the Gadites and the Reubenites. He would gouge out the right eye of each of them and would not grant Israel a deliverer. No one was left of the Israelites across the Jordan whose right eye, Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, had not gouged out. But there were 7,000 men who had escaped from the Ammonites and had entered Jabesh-Gilead. So so this is just, Nahash is just going around. He's like, he's got to get this last group of people. That's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to get these people who are in his region and uh, he wants to subdue them as well. And he's just a bad dude. And talk about confident. I mean, how about this whole idea of like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Before? Before you gouge out our eyes, can we appeal to our entire nation? And then, if if nobody comes to our aid, you just gouge out our eyes. We'll drive on. Now, I gotta be honest. Even with that part, like I don't know how willing I'd be to sign that right there. You know, I'd be like, give us a week. And in my head, I'm thinking for us to get out of town. You know, I would just vanish at that point. But like, give us a week. We're gonna appeal. And uh, if nobody comes to our aid, you know, we'll just do what you say. And he's so confident, so cocky. He's like, sure, go ahead and do that. And then he rolls out. I'm like, wow. I mean, like, and I don't know, you know, whatever he's thinking, he could be thinking any number of things. Uh, Maybe he's like, yeah, I don't think anybody will come to your aid anyway. Or maybe even if they do, I look forward to the opportunity of fighting whoever's going to come to rescue you. Also, since he's been doing this to so many other parts of Israel, nobody came to their aid. So he's like, I really don't think anybody's going to come to your aid anyway. Um, So he wants to go ahead and and walk through with this. So, and it's the elders, it's the leaders who've decided this, excuse me. So the elders who we've already seen this pattern in scripture where there are elders established to kind of help give advice to Israel, uh, but that actually kind of regionalizes itself too. And the reason I find it really interesting is. There's a version of that in the local church uh, where God still establishes elders, that is uh, mature, godly, wise men who help offer uh, wisdom to the leadership of the body. So it's interesting how that uh, throughout all of time still carries forward. Um, And here's something else you need to know about Israel at this point. So Israel, even though they have one king, he's brand new on the scene. And listen, he's not even there. He's like back home doing chores. He's He's not kinging the whole country at this point. So even though they have this king, they're not really unified. They're still kind of separate kingdoms at this time. you still got Israel and Judah who are kind of divided uh, from one another. And even though they, they kind of have this corporate sense of identity, that is we're God's people, they're really functioning like a collection of independent states. Uh, also too, Nahash is essentially a mobster is what he's doing. Now you've, some of you who are into mob movies uh, and the way they operate. So some of the things they'll do like this is they'll, they'll show up to local shops in their area, lo- local stores, And they're going to tell people, you need to start paying protection money. You pay us protection money, we'll take care of you, make sure nobody gets hurt. And you very well could say, oh, I'm not in any danger. I mean, (laughs) like, we're not at risk of being hurt. And that's when the mobster will be like, yes, you are. And so it's like, oh... Oh, I see how this works. So I pay you so you don't hurt me. That's really how this works. And they're like, okay, now we're communicating. So that's what Nahash is doing. So that, and that's why he just wants to gouge out an eye. So it doesn't do him any good to kill them because if he kills them, they're no use to him. But he has several things that do get accomplished if he'll just gouge out one eye. So first is just humiliation. Like when, when somebody rolls into town, they see everybody in town, all the men anyway, are, are missing their right eye. They're gonna be like, what happened here? And everybody will say, Nahash. All right, so Nahash is like, this is kind of my calling card. This is kind of how everybody knows I'm, I'm cool, I'm tough, I'm, I'm the big man. So that's kind of his calling card. Uh, so it's humiliation, it's domination. Um, and also, too, uh, it affects them if they ever want to fight him. Uh, it affects the military because uh, when you lose an eye, you lose depth perception. Um, and that's why I thought it would always be interesting to fight a pirate. You ever think about that? So... Like they've got the patch, um, but they they have no depth perception. And they're carrying pistols, but I'm like, what good would that be? Because I'll just be like, ooh where am I, where am I, you know? And he'll be like, dude, I can't, I just, it's a thing, I can't, can you stand still? Um, like, so I think that'd be, I think sword fighting somebody with no death perception would be interesting as well. Uh, that would also be fun. Like, no, I'm over here, I'm over here. And he's like, I can't, I just can't, I can't find you. Um, so that would be interesting. So he's thinking about this militarily. Um, and then also dead people can't pay tribute. And so it's like, if I just take your eyeball, then you can still farm, you can still run your business, you can still ship and do all that kind of stuff. And then that way you can make money and then you can pay me money. And so this is what he's thinking of. This is how he's building his, uh, his kingdom. Uh, now Saul, Saul's about 42 miles away in Gibeah. So about 42 miles away. And now I don't know if you've ever tried to get a message to somebody 42 miles away when you don't have a car or an airplane or a carrier pigeon. Like, like if somebody has to take it there. So this is what I'm thinking. Then you got seven days to go throughout all of Israel. Like, how are you going to get this message to everybody? And even if you reach the furthest most parts of the kingdom, and somebody's like, oh, yeah, we'll come. Well, it's like by the time you get your people together, and then you got to travel to us, and, you know, it's just going to be. So, like, this time frame, like, they really should have. I would have been like, can you give us 30 days? 30 (laughs) 30 days. But they they did the weak thing, and fortunately, it's going to work out okay. Because while the spirit of man is is certainly working through Nahash, the spirit of God is doing his own thing. So let's move on to verse 5. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, what is wrong with the people that they are weeping? And so they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words. And his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and he cut them in pieces. And he sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel... So shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. And when he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation." And then when the messengers came and they told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow, now they're talking to Nahash, tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. All right, we'll pause there for a second because I, you know, I don't want to give it away. We don't, let's leave some suspense in the story. Uh, now, so I like this. So they go back and they... Go the message gets back to Saul and Saul Saul's just farming. I mean, like you are the king of Israel. What's he doing? Ah, I was doing some work in the field today and want to come home tonight, chill, get a good meal. You know, like like he is not doing king stuff. Not like we would picture it. So he's just chilling. He comes in. He comes home from work and, and everybody's just they're emotional. Everybody's emotional and there's just a sense of corporate loss uh, as that you're like we are just too weak as a nation to defend ourselves. It's just like we have no dignity and yet we've got God and nobody else has got like. So this frustration so he comes in everybody's crying what's going on uh, he hears about the threat and then this anger boils up within him all right so here I have a question because I think I think as Christians maybe we can get confused about this is there ever such a thing as a righteous God-honoring anger so <laughs> well, I appreciate that because uh, I do think sometimes we're like ah you know anger is a sin like no no, no. anger is actually not a sin Now, things you do out of anger can be a sin. Uh, But anger itself is an emotion. It's a normal response. And God built it into us. And sometimes it can be used for good, uh, righteous, and holy things. And so uh, I'll just give you an example. I know of one guy that, that maybe we value who was very angry. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 13. Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now, how many of us would have loved to have seen Jesus go off on that group of people back in that day? I mean, I know I would, then I have this thought, like, what would it look like when Jesus goes over the, did he go turn the table, and, get out of here, and he's like, I'm, I'm so sorry, let me help you with that, like, get to stand there, I just, could you leave, like, I like that, I don't know how Jesus would do that, but just Jesus going crazy, throwing people out of the temple complex, and yet, we know Jesus never sinned. It was not a sin for him, even though he very much inconvenienced those people and messed up some of their business. But that was a righteous thing. That was this thing that, um, even though I'm sure others were yelling at him, that's not very Christ-like. But he would have been, you know, doing his thing, and it was appropriate. Uh, And then I'm reminded of this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, to be fair, a lot of our anger, if we're honest, is unrighteous anger. <laughs> a lot of it. We just get mad at stupid stuff, and then we yell at people, especially those we love. Uh, and then we got to fix things. And that's why I love the idea of don't let the sun go down on your anger, uh, which something, by the way, in our marriage we've really tried to honor. It is hard for those who've been married. <laughs> it's hard sometimes. Uh, but just but when you're laying down in bed, make sure... You're good to go before you close your eyes. Uh, my wife and I have really tried to do that uh, over the years, uh, and so then, I, and Saul makes this threat. He says, "Here's the deal. I'm gonna." He cuts up these oxen, cuts up oxen in pieces. Now, listen. I mean, it's not worse than a butcher might do, uh, but when this this chunk of ox comes to your village, and you're like, "What is? What is this?" And you're like, "Oh, this was sent by the king." Saying, if you don't re- respond to to your national duties, this is going to happen to your property, your possessions, your oxen uh and at that point you're like, oh, oh that's that's actually really bad because I'm a farmer and I depend on that and that is food and that is livelihood and it's like yeah you better show up then is is how this turns out to be and so what you've really just seen uh, is the first military draft that we're witnessing in Israel right now Uh, this is the first draft now we fortunately as a military in the U.S. have not had a draft since was Vietnam I think the the last one and so um, my dad knew this and Just a little draft information. Apparently, you knew when you were going to be drafted, Uh, fellas. This would have been you. Um, And so my dad said when they produced the draft information, he knew that he would be drafted within the next, like, month or so. And so uh, just being a wise man, he was like, well, if they're going to come get me anyway, I might as well enlist. And If I'm going to enlist... I'm gonna enlist in the Navy because it's very unlikely they'll be fighting in the trenches in the jungles of Vietnam. And so that's what he did. And so they put my dad on an uh, an unair conditioned minesweeper in the Philippines, uh, and it was miserable. But uh, at least nobody he said was shooting at him, which was, which was nice. Although every now and then they would catch a mine, so that was his own thing, but anyway. Um, So this is the first military draft that we're seeing here. Uh, And and this uh, reminds me too the difference between a voluntary army and a conscripted army. Uh, Conscripted is mandatory service, which actually Israel still has today. If you were a man living in Israel today, you would have about a three-year commitment. Women would have about a two-year commitment. If we, when we go to Israel as a church, uh, you'll see that. You'll see a bunch of just very young people. What was comical to me though I don't know if I should say this. I'll just say it. It's funny. So these young girls that have been conscripted, they're doing their service, uh, and they're sitting there with like these this major weaponry on their on their chest here, these ARs or whatever they've got hanging there in their military gear, but they're over there with like their pink iPhones, and they're like doing selfies, and I remember one girl, she's like brushing her hair and stuff, and she's down, like, that is such a contrast happening <laughs> right there. Like, I will mow you down, but I gotta look good doing it. You know, like this whole, it's a weird deal. So... But that's a little bit of the difference. So these now, they're showing up. And it says, too, that God did something here. God affected their hearts. It was God who put this sense of dread. So it's a, a sense of dread from the Lord. And so the Lord really has mobilized his people, which is interesting to me how God works through both, both like human uh, 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 human actions, and yet God is divinely behind it. It's just kind of this neat thing how he does that. Um, and then he invokes, too, the, the, the authority of Samuel, because the comment he makes, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, and really what he's saying there is like, hey, listen, I'm calling you as your king and God is watching you. Like, it's that, kind of that idea. Me and Samuel, we're in this together. Samuel represents God, I represent the country, uh, we're calling you to this. And so he calls all these people to Bezek and that's where they're gonna gather um, to do what they're gonna do. So here, they're gathering together, they're getting ready to fight. Uh, and, and this is fun too, by the time you get to this. So when, he talks, when they talk to Nahash in verse 10, therefore the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you. So apparently, um, apparently the Hebrew there can mean a couple of things. It can mean we're going to surrender to you. It can also mean we're going to march out to you. Uh, and what they are clearly meaning is we're going to march out to you. <laughs> but they are not, they're not necessarily saying what they intend to do when they march out because there is another plan uh, that has come about. And, uh, and so now let's get into to what goes on verse 11. And so in the next day, Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. All right, so, and it's, it's so wild how you just truncated this whole thing. Like, this could have been a really good drawn-out battle, a lot of description. It's just like, they show up, they wipe them out, they go home. You know, it's like, wow, that was, that was a really quick summation. One of the questions you may be asking where did Saul get like military intuition? Like he's just a dude. Like he was farming 10 minutes ago. Like now suddenly he's rallying the whole nation, coming up with military strategy. Like how's he doing this? So a few things. One is when you introduce the spirit of God into the equation, everything changes. That's, that's like for sure when the spirit of God does his thing, it's a different deal. Also though, if I could draw your attention back to what we read at the end of chapter 10, that men of valor whose hearts God had affected, whose hearts God had touched. They come and they've gathered around him. So he is surrounded by military strategists. So when it comes to like, Saul's gathering these people together, he would then be meeting with these fellows who are like, listen, all right, listen, we've been fighting for years. Let me tell you how this works. We gotta do this, we gotta do this. So he divides up, they divide and they conquer. And they decide to attack um, in the, like this pre-dawn. So the morning watch was between two and 6 a.m., between 2 and 6 a.m., that's how they would count it. Um, and then this is, you know, this is pre-night vision goggles. I mean, <laughs> these guys are out there, and they're swinging swords. So you gotta have some light. I mean, I can't imagine you're gonna go out as an army in the pitch black and go, let's do this. You know, like, dude, I am not. You know, when your buddy looks at you, you go, hey, stay close to me, I can't see a thing. you like, yeah, dude, you're gonna be swinging a sword. I am not staying close to you. So we're gonna wait till we get a little light. Um, but then this is another thing that just Nahash, just in his confidence, apparently, is just unprepared. He, he does not expect to be surprised. And can we just go back? How many people did they call out? 300,000 of the men of Judah. 30, uh, or Judah, 30,000, 300,000 from Israel. Like, he, 330,000. He's not expecting over a quarter of a million people to march on him in the middle of the night. This is not expected. Which, in some ways, we delight in the foolishness of evil people. Right? It is their own undoing. Praise the Lord. So, um, he does not expect what happens. So all of this happens, uh, and there's this attack, and, and God is victorious. Uh, so now we see a bit. Now we're going to go back to the spirit of man. We saw the spirit of man with Nahash. Saw the spirit of God come upon Saul. Now we're back to the spirit of man a bit when you get to verse 12. So then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. Now isn't this interesting? Wow. Where's this coming from? You know, like, it is so funny to me how, how overconfident we can become. We taste, get a little bit of taste of victory, a little bit of taste of what the Lord is doing, and now they're like, let's wipe people. We've already killed a bunch of the enemy. Let's kill some of our own. Like, dude, dial it back, all right? Let's, let's not be all killy. Uh, let's just, you know, let God do his thing. Um, and, but I, and I would say this, too. Like, you gotta be careful, about being too eager to deal out death and judgment. You gotta be really careful about that. Um, And I would say this too. Like if God came to you and said, I'm thinking about going ahead and just ending this whole thing. Um, And so if you give me the word, I'll go ahead and bring judgment today. I'll wipe out the whole earth today. Good news for you. You start paradise today because you're in Christ. Um, But what do you think? Do you want me to go ahead and pull the trigger on this now or do you want me to wait? Now, there's a part of you instantly that's like, hit that button, do it now! You know, like, let's go! And then there's another part of you that'd be like, whoa, 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 I have unsaved family. Like, like, there are parts of this world that have not really received the good news of Jesus Christ. At some point, it becomes very selfish of me to desire quick and swift, swift judgment now because it, it brings it for everybody and not just me. So while I may be good, others aren't. And so I need to think about that. Which, by the way, uh, is the very tenor of Scripture. Um, if you read uh, in, in other areas of Scripture, and particularly 2 Peter 3, 9, uh, you'll see that it's God's patience and his kindness that delays his judgment. And so we have to be careful there. I'm also reminded of a scene where Jesus uh, is with a woman who got caught in adultery, and uh, the Jews have gathered around to stone her. And then you get John chapter 8, verse 7, and then Jesus makes this comment, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. You know, and you're just like, hmm, yeah. yeah I can't. Now, let, me be, let me be careful there. So there's this moment in First in Samuel here where they're like, let's kill these people. And then Saul, Saul actually has this response, verse 13. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Okay, so if we stop right there, like you're looking at this, you're going like, wow. Okay, now, for those of us who've read ahead, we know where this goes with Saul, you know, we know where he ends up. But right now, if you're an Israelite, you're like, oh, okay, okay. That's the kind of king we got, huh? I mean, he's like, he's he's got controlled anger. He's not overly emotional. He's trying to make wise decisions. He's trying to keep the country together and united. He's very gracious. Like there's a part of you right now where you're like, we've got the right guy. Like this This man is a man after God's own heart, you might be tempted to think. So we'll just pause with that idea. For those of you who have not read all of 1 Samuel, hey, who knows? He may turn out all right. We could be excited about this. All right. So uh, might as well have some hope. So then Samuel says, verse 14, then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Alright, so now you've got some other stuff going on. And and I just want you to notice the references to the Lord. So there they made him king to the Lord. And so there and they're making offerings to the Lord. So there's this idea that like he's already been made king. They already had a ceremony and everything. But now they've just had this great national victory. All, all of Israel's there. And I know one thing, and we've talked about this even as a church. One of the struggles of being a Christian, of even being uh, a church, is that we don't always celebrate well, right? You'll, you, these neat things will happen in people's lives. And you're like, yeah, we would, we would celebrate that, but we got more stuff to do, so let's just keep trucking on. And this is a time where they pause and they're like, you know what? God sent something really significant here, really unique here. Uh, and they're recognizing it was God who did it. And so they're pulling back now. They're like, you know what? We we said Saul was king. Let's do this since we're all together anyway. Let's bring him out in front and let us before the Lord just go, Lord, this is our guy, your guy. You gave him to us. We're gonna thank you for that. And then we're gonna make offerings to you in response to that. And then we're gonna... We're going to have a party. And so <laughs> I'm sure there was good few, food, good music, uh, just a lot of joy. And then and, and again, the sense of you've been a disconnected group. Uh, you've kind of been uh, almost tribalistic in the way you've been operating. And now in this one moment, you are together as a country. Like the Ammonites right now fear you. And that has not been the case in your recent memory, right? Like you now are suddenly becoming a nation that's respected by the nations around you. Like the sense of pride that is entering into them. And I mean that in a good way. A good sense of pride of identity is kind of welling up within Israel right now. And they're stopping to give glory to God. Like there's a lot of kind of good stuff going on here. That's what we're seeing uh, out of this. And so, and then now we're to the point where uh, that's great. We're looking forward to where this goes. This will be fun to watch uh, as we go forward here. Uh, But now we're going to pause and we're going to just say, okay, now I'm a New Testament Christian. I've just read this amazing story of what God has done. Is there anything in here that might apply to me? And so, I think for me, whenever I see a reference to the Spirit of God empowering people to do something that you would not expect them to do, you don't expect the kid who was just hiding in luggage, like, a chapter ago, uh, to be leading a national battle and coming out victorious with his strategic uh, military intuition. Like, you you don't expect that. He's going up against a hardened, seasoned military veteran, and then they wipe him out. Like, you just don't expect that. That's the Spirit of God. So, then I'm thinking, as a New Testament Christian, let's talk about the Spirit of God for us, because even though there was a unique way, absolutely unique way the Spirit would work in particular individuals in the Old Testament. There's a, a neat way that he works in the lives of the believers today. So if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, he's your Lord and Savior, um, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit came into your life it didn't come later it's simultaneous with salvation we find this from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 Uh, there's a comment of when you're saved the Holy Spirit comes into you and that's where you get your identity so uh, now the Holy Spirit is in in all of God's people now we're not uh, probably going to be leading a national battle uh, against an enemy but uh, what we are going to do is we've got to figure out a way to live life in such a way that it glorifies the Lord that's something we want to do and you in and of your own strength you don't have what it takes to live in a way that glorifies God It's just, it is not a part of your natural makeup, but when you become a Christian, it does become a part of your supernatural makeup, so the Holy Spirit indwells you. And so then we receive these words in Ephesians 5.18, and I I love these words because I think they're very powerful. Uh, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the, the thing I love about this is like alcohol is a depressant. Um, and so it depresses, um, I don't know, your, your, <laughs> your restraint, uh, your morals. Like it takes away things you need, all uh, right? So I won't ask for testimony here, but some of you know that. Um, and then on the other side of this is the Holy Spirit. And so it's a contrast, the Holy Spirit. So as opposed to being a depressant, the Holy Spirit is a stimulant who, who takes your capacities and elevates it. To another level takes your wisdom to another level takes your moral inclination to another level takes your love of the lord to another level like the holy spirit does things in you so then you find yourself doing and saying things just like a drunk person drunk person does things says things that are are, are outside of who they normally are and normally they'll regret those later right Uh, but a person filled with the spirit finds themselves doing and saying things outside of who they normally are but in this way it glorifies god so it's kind of one of those neat things where if you're sitting there going like, I don't know that I have what it takes to really walk with the Lord. And I would say, oh, you're 100% you're right. But if you are in Christ, as you put your faith in him, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the spirit of God within you and he has the capacity to honor and glorify the Lord. And then he gives that to you if you want it. And so... Uh, This command to be filled uh, with the Spirit is very much something. In fact, if you want a good just daily prayer, a good part of your daily prayers in the morning is, Lord, fill me with your Spirit today. He's already there. He's not distant. It's not like Spirit, come into me. He's already there. But fill me. Just maximize yourself inside of me. Suppress my natural human inclinations that uh, will tend towards sin, and you manifest your goodness, the goodness of God, in and through me. That's something that we want to see. Uh, and so one of the ways I think you can feed this, which I think is important, is when I think about the armor of God. So when you read Ephesians chapter 6, you see the section on the armor of God. And it's a great section, you should know it, uh, but just to give you a, t- a taste of it. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation, and that's what we get in Christ, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so I love this, the sword of the Spirit. Like, If you want to know what the Spirit really uses to bring transformation in and through your life, it's the word of God. And so we have to be people who know, study, love the Word of God. It's not magic. Um, It's just that when we study the Word of God, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, uses this, and that's what he kind of uses to resource us uh, as we grow into maturity. And then ironically, kind of like Saul, not totally, kind of like Saul, you'll find yourself doing things, thinking things, becoming someone you never expected because the Holy Spirit does amazing things in and through submissive people. That's how he works. He works. We have a God who not only identifies with us in our suffering as he did through Christ, he offers forgiveness for us through the sacrifice of his own son. And then this life that he calls you to live, he actually empowers you to do through his Holy Spirit. That's a God worthy of worship. And that's a God worthy of it all. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in and through us. Lord, you you compel us to worship you because you are so amazing. Lord, you are worthy of it all.